Welcome to Write Stuff Radio, where we showcase Christian authors worldwide. Each week, join me for a new author and a great new book to add to your library. Welcome to The Right Stuff. I'm the Queen, Parker J. Thank you so much for joining me. Today, we're going to be talking to my guest co-host and contributor all the way from down under. Yes, I'm looking forward to listening to his wonderful accent as he shares with us his life and his newest book, rather his newest series called Rage of Lions. And I had the opportunity to read the first book in this series, but there are already four books in this series, and you are definitely going to enjoy it. It is so unique and different. It's actually military medieval fantasy, and you are going to love it. But there's so much more to this story than what meets the eye, and I cannot wait to tell you about it in just a few moments. I want to thank you for your support. We have been showcasing Christian authors worldwide for the past nine years, and as God gives us grace, we'll continue to do so. To find out how you can help out, simply go to patreon.com slash write stuff and see what you can do. And as always, we covet your prayers. To stay up to date with PJC Media, simply go to pjcmedia.net and click on the pink follow button, and you'll never, ever have to miss a show. I want to thank you for your support of my newest release called The Butler's Daughter. It's book two of the Daughters of Black Gotham series. Your response has been absolutely phenomenal. So if you haven't had a chance to pick it up, go ahead and pick it up today. I really look forward to your response. And so without further ado, I'm going to bring on my guest from down under, Matt Barron. Matt, how you doing today? I'm very well. Thank you for inviting me. What uh, can I say for you? <laughs> Beyond that, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm so glad that you are here, that you took time out of your busy schedule to be here with me today. Really am enjoying just presenting this book to our listeners. It is such a good book, as you already know. For our listeners out there, when I read this book, I read it in about four to five hours. And I was so engrossed into the story that for two hours, I didn't even know my dog wasn't in the house. I had left her outside for two hours. And all of a sudden, I was talking to Matt while I was live reading it to him. And I said, oh, my gosh, I left my dog outside. <laughs> so what happened? I had to go get my dog, bring her back in, give her some chicken so she wouldn't feel left out. But, yeah, this book is that engrossing. It is that engaging. It is really that good. And the name of the story that we're talking about today is called Prentice Ash. But it is one of Rage of Lions. And four of those books are available on Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. So make sure you go ahead and pick up your copy today. Matt, I want to talk to you about this series. But before I do that, I always want to pull the curtain back on who you are as an author. So go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm a man in his 50s. I've been wanting to be a writer. I first told, started telling people I wanted to be a writer when I was 12. 
and it's taken this long to get it right. But I am a historian by training. I have a PhD in history. I went to university for that, did all of the work that I was supposed to do there. But while I was at university, the Lord decided that was the time he wanted to save me. And so I rather spent a lot of time in the coffee shop at university just witnessing and doing my homework on the side. And it was considered something of an achievement and something of a miracle that I ever, ever got a degree at all because of the amount of time I wasted in terms of academia. But I'm sort of waffling. I apologize for that. I love several things. I love fantasy and science fiction. I remember I was seven when Star Wars was released. And by that stage, I already knew I was a science fiction fan. I loved reading all my life. I've loved fantasy and heroic things and all of those things, sort of the history, the fantasy, the love of literature all feeds into this series of books. What's fascinating about what you said is that you do have a degree as a historian. And I think that's highly significant because, as I mentioned to you offline, it really does add that wonderful texture to your book so that you're not just reading a story, you're actually engaged into a world without having a virtual reality aspect to it. So I really love this series, Rage of Lions. And let me just tell our listeners what the book's titles are. The first book that we're going to be talking about today is called Prentice Ash. But the second book is called Rata Delfort. The third book is called Lions of the Reach. And the fourth book is called Eagles of the Grand Kingdom. So there's a lot going on in this story. And I know that he's going to have some massive storytelling skills going on here. And let me tell you, the books are getting brave reviews. They are really that good. And I'm not just making that up. They are really that good. So make sure you go ahead and get your copy, at least of the first book, Prentice Ash, which is available on Amazon or wherever books are sold. So let's go ahead. You mentioned about that you always love to write, that you love sci-fi and fantasy, love reading books. But when did you know that I'm going to be writing? When did that moment happen for you? Oh, I was very young. The very first time I tried to write any kind of novel type story, I think I was 13. I had a, a teacher who uh, took a moment. I was a very difficult student. I, my, particularly in high school, my teachers didn't like me very much. But one teacher took a, a moment to say, I think you really do have something that you need to pursue. And she let me over one of the school holidays borrow her old typewriter. And I think I probably batted out the equivalent of about 2,000 words, something very small by, by any professional standard. That was it. I think that's that you're just in love. And then for a long time, it was learning two things, learning what I wanted to write and how to write. Writing is one of those things that I think it's like most skills. If you've never had to develop it, you don't have any idea how sophisticated, how complex it can become, how much there is to learn. It's really easy to drive up to a mechanic and say, here's my car, fix it, and just not realize how much experience and wisdom goes into handling a car correctly. And I found writing was like that for me. So it took a long while. And it wasn't really until I was over 30 and married and started writing for my wife, uh, just stories to encourage her and to make her happy, that I really realized that I'd started to develop the skills to write, to know what I was doing. And yeah, I've been writing ever since. And it wasn't until about five years ago that Rage of Lions started to really solidify in my head. And I thought, no, now's the time for this story that I've let grow for many years, different concepts, bring them together and, and make them into what is now this series, which is growing very well. I got to ask you this question, and it's one of my favorite questions to ask. Do you think writers are born or are they bred? 
That's a tough one because some people are born to something. There's a great story about Jimi Hendrix picking up a guitar and teaching himself to play such that when the time came for him to be a professional, other professionals around him looked at him and said, how did you know how to do that? And it's because he had he would be, he'd been born. I think there are people God just ordains. But I had a fascination when I was at university with the concept of genius because there was an attempt by some psychologists to define genius not as just having a big high IQ, but to say that to be considered a genius, not only did you have to be great in whatever field you're into, but you had to have pushed that field further than it had gone before you got there. And so I love that there are people like that. I don't think I'm one of them. I'm not calling myself a genius by any means, but I do think there are people who are born to it. But I think the rest of us can develop a skill. There's a, you don't have to be, I don't know whether, I, I know very little about ice hockey, but I do know that there's a man, there was a man named Wayne Gretzky, and everyone who played with him said that we're all professionals and he's better than us. Michael Jordan, every man who played with Michael Jordan in the 1990s said, we're all professionals and he's better than us. I I think we can all strive to get into the professional league and sometimes there will always be someone who's going to be better than us. It's just ordained. And often when you see those people, they're a wonderful joy to watch them do whatever it is they do because it's beautiful. It's magnificent to watch someone who is that cut above everyone else. And in the meantime, I learned to write. I worked hard. I know I love to tell stories. I'm fascinated by the stories of history. And any story of the history, like I, as I say, I don't follow basketball or ice hockey, but I know who Wayne Gretzky is and I know who Michael Jordan is because they've got great stories attached to their lives. So, yeah, that's the part of me that was born to it and the rest of it is just work. I like that answer because it follows that there are some people God has blessed with this innate ability. And that innate ability shows itself through when you take what God has given you and actually use it. And this show is always about encouraging aspiring authors whom God has given the gift to write to pick up the pen and do so. For those out there who haven't done this yet, why haven't you? What are you waiting for? Are you worried about getting the bad review, getting critical reviews? Guess what? We give critical reviews on things every single day, and we don't care who is behind it. If I watch a movie that I didn't like, guess what? I didn't like the movie. That had nothing to do with the makers. I didn't like the movie. So don't worry about that if you worry about getting that critical review. You may have that innate gift, that genius that Matt is talking about. And if you don't pick up the pen and write, how are we going to find out about it? So I want to encourage my aspiring authors out there today to do what God has told you to do, which is to pick up the pen and write stuff. And now, Matt, I want to dig into this series, Rage of Alliance, and really going to hone our conversation on the first book. But before I do that, where did the germ of this idea come from? This idea has two origins. One's a big, broad history origin, and the other one's a more personal, individual fascination origin. The big, broad history origin is that uh, many people, of course, will have heard of uh, Game of Thrones. And as a historian, when I read the books of Game of Thrones, the, the Song of Ice and Fire, it was really quickly obvious to me that what George Martin had done as an author was to say, let's take the English Civil War, the War of the Roses, between the House of Lancaster and the House of York, and let's make a fantasy version of it 
with the House of Lannister and the House of Stark. And so as soon as he did that, I thought to myself, heck, I know some great eras of history that fascinate me. Why can't I do that myself? That was the big tapestry. And so what I'm giving, hopefully, is my, as the setting, is my version of what's called the 30 Years' War in Europe, which is the time when the wars break out because the Reformation comes and the schism between Protestantism and Catholicism starts, and that sets off a set of political crises as well. That's the big setting inspiration. And the personal part for me is that I have always been fascinated by the men and women who endure and overcome great hardship through courage and through only through personal strength, but through faith, through belief, and also through personal strength. And so I wanted to write characters who were the, the great difficulties of life, things like being unjustly imprisoned and forced into forced labor. Australia's history with convicts is quite broad. And there are a lot of people who were sent to this country for 14 years for crimes that today would just boggle the mind. How could you even consider it a crime? So basically, that's the germ, the two bosses, the big, broad tapestry, and then the individual threads I want to follow. It's interesting you mentioned the Thirty Years' War. I was talking to a good friend of mine who is a researcher and historical researcher at that. and He was talking about the fatigue that happened when you have these religious wars, how that's when the more materialist and secular ideas started to evolve mm. from that because of that fatigue, because millions yes. of people died during this time, all in the name of God. So when that happened, then after it's over, he said, now we still have these issues. We still have people doing the same thing they've been doing, and they started to get fatigued by it. So it's really interesting that you mentioned that. And I had just had that conversation probably about two to three weeks ago. So it's interesting that you mentioned that. So here we are in this world that's set there, but there's so much more to the story. And I told Matt before we started to record that I hated that he destroyed my view of knights because the knights in this story are not the heroes. They're jerks, okay? They're absolute jerks. But I love how he just flipped it on its side there, and I want to go into the story. So our main character, his name is Prentice. And what is unique about Prentice, or rather, what do we find out about Prentice when we first open this book? First of all, we find out that he's uh, training to be a knight himself. And through, essentially through offending some people during his training, he was set up and convicted of heresy. And then through the, the way that they treat conviction in this civilization is that they use convicts as free labor. And he was exiled to a frontier province where he's been laboring ever since for a decade. So the, this is a man who had a great expectations put upon him and foresaw a great career and a great life. And it was all ripped away and how he's been dwelling at the absolute bottom of society for a long time. And the fact that he's a convict is what's really interesting about this story. And I can almost sense there is, as you mentioned earlier, when you talk about the German, the idea for this story, that there's a personal thing you're trying to say here, because the convicts have been seen as a dredge of society. But anyone who has the faith of God understands that he loves the convict just like he loves the president just like he loves the prime minister, just like he loves the queen, doesn't matter. But you really use this class hierarchy in the story in really unique ways. And there are some things that happen, and we're not going to give you any spoilers as much as you possibly can, only because I really want you to enjoy the story. But there are moments in here 
where you go, that is the meanest thing that could ever happen. And you get so frustrated because Prentice is put through the ringer. And Matt, I can't help but think how sadistic you are because you put Prentice through a lot of stuff. And it's so cruel of you, sir. Absolutely cruel of you to do that. And so when the book opens, he's working and then something odd happens. He hears the sound of horses. What happens from that moment on? The, uh, all the convicts at that point are having their one moment of rest in the afternoon and a group of knights who've been ambushed while escorting the wife of the ruler of the province, uh, the Duchess Amelia. They were escorting her and they've been ambushed by foreign invaders that they don't even recognize as foreign invaders. There's, they've come from somewhere no one knows where and they're, on, they're fleeing and they do something that is not unknown in history but very rare they press the convicts into service as soldiers to fight to defend her, even though these convicts are still on a chain. They're literally chained together. So there's another character in this story that I want you to discuss. And the other character opposite Apprentice is Amelia. Tell us about Amelia and why she's so significant to the story. Okay, well, Amelia is the wife of the Dutch. She is the Duchess. She's the wife of the Duke. But she is, like Prentice, she is not a noble. But her father was a merchant who was very successful, and he saved up in order essentially to give her a good dowry. And by circumstance, while it would have been acceptable socially for her to marry perhaps a poor knight and use her dowry to buy into the nobility, it turned out the duke himself was in debt, and so her dowry was able to buy her a, a much higher status. But it means that she's now in charge of the province because the Duke has died, and ruling over a group of nobles who have no respect for her because she is essentially not noble-born. And she's also just 19, which is about the right age for a person to marry in a fantasy world. So she's a young woman trying to find her way in a society that is very hostile to her, and now her lands are invaded. She's absolutely desperate. I did love the medieval politics involved in the story, and I think that helped because for people like me who are not part of a commonwealth, we don't understand all these hierarchical nuances that are in society of a commonwealth. So that was pretty cool, too. And I like how you did put it on its head because even though she married into a higher status, people still saw her as this little merchant girl. It didn't matter how much money her dad made. At the end of the day, she was not noble. So there's a lot of things about class going on in the story as well. Now let's go and shift the conversation to these invaders. So we have Prentice, who's a convict who was trained to be a knight, but then he was accused of heresy, and now he's been a convict for a while. We have Amelia, who has bought her station in life by her father. Her husband has died, and now she has to deal with these invaders. Now these invaders, these invaders are not like the invaders that we're used to. What is it about these invaders that make them different? Well, the invaders come from a completely different culture, and they also come from a very different religion. It was important to me to capture the fact that you could, like lots of times in history, there were these people from far away who might occasionally, say, for example, the Mongols when they were conquering, or the Ottoman Turks on the eastern half of Europe during the Middle Ages, the late Middle Ages, etc. And they weren't just those guys over there who are kind of like us, but a bit different. They were radically different. They worshipped different gods. They believed different things about the value of a human being. They 
saw things very differently at so many levels, and they would do things without explaining themselves. And so the invaders who have come are unknown, completely unknown to the main, what's called the Grand Kingdom, where Amelia and Prentice live. And they've come with an exceedingly brutal purpose. They are not simply traders who might get a bit violent, like, say, the Vikings were. When the Vikings, the Vikings could trade or they could raid, these men have not come to trade. They have come to kill. And they have a reason, but no one in the Grand Kingdom knows what that is yet. And even by the end of the story, you don't know, because he's very effective just dragging us along. And I say dragging in a funny way, not in a bad way, but you're dragging along, like wondering what in the world is going on. Now, there's a lot of violence in this story. The violence isn't gratuitous, but it is pretty gritty. And for those of you who may worry about that, I would put the violence at like, what would you say, Matt, by PG-13, possibly. There is some coarse language, but what do you expect from a group of convicts? They're not going to say fiddle-dee-dee, okay? So there's some violence in here, and it's war violence. Another aspect of this story that I like is how you talk about war in its context, but it never comes off as an info dump, which you did exceptionally well, because it made me interested in war, and that's not something I usually pick up on. Let's talk about why war tactics were an important element of this story, too. Well, uh, it's funny you talk about info dumping. It's absolutely my greatest writing bugbear is bad info dumping. It crashes a story, and the story is what we're in the book for. We're not, no reader comes to the book. However clever my setting is, and however magnificent my world building is, readers don't come to my book for my world. They come for my story. The world has to serve the story. And so it's always been a, a purpose of mine to make sure that the detail serves the story. Bring it out when it's there because it makes the story rich, but never, ever shut the story down just so you can say to the reader, oh, by the way, look at this clever thing I know or look at this clever thing I wrote. And war is part of the period that I was trying to recapture, the 30 years war, because it's the moment in history where the knights in Europe were absolutely at the pinnacle of their power and influence and they had no idea that the things that they were pushing for, for better weapons, for better tactics, for better technology, was about to throw them off their throne. And gunpowder was going to come along and new tactics were going to come along. And within 50 to 100 years, knights would be gone from the battlefield. And so that's the period I'm trying to capture. And so always the warfare has to be there. But it's not about celebrating the warfare or even the details. The details have to serve that story that I'm telling. And like I say, you did that exceptionally well because there's a scene where they're talking about the invaders are coming with tactics they're not even familiar with. And that's rather scary. You already have an enemy on your borders, but you don't have any sort of bridge to connect with that enemy. And that made it quite terrifying for me just watching the story take place. And what starts to happen as Prentice and Amelia as they begin to understand some of the things happening to the Grand Kingdom, their places in the narrative actually expand too. Now, before we get to the end of our show here, because we're, we're getting there, Matt, I do have to say one thing that you do effectively is the character development, particularly of Prentice. When we first meet Prentice, Prentice is very close-minded. We don't get a lot of his thoughts. And at first, I wasn't sure what to make of him because he does not reveal himself. But more and more, as he begins to interact with the story, we actually begin to see what he thinks about the world around him, 
What was your purpose in showing that detail? I think initially it's that Prentice is shut down because he has to be shut down. This is the way people who survived abuse survive. I have a great deal of affection is the wrong word, but a great deal of time and a longing to communicate that people survive. My own childhood incorporated some very, very savage bullying in my neighborhood and at my school. And my wife was a victim of domestic violence, a very sad in many ways, very brutal in the early part of our marriage was really a lot of healing for both of us. So that part of Prentice always rings true for me. That's the part of him that he's been a convict for 10 years. Of course, he's shut down. Of course, he doesn't care. He doesn't want to care. He doesn't want to think because thinking can lead him to remembering pain. And the easiest way to get away from pain in your mind is to just not think. But of course, there's the part of him that is the best part of him, the good part of him, the the part of him that actually wants to be godly. And that's the part that, of course, as a Christian novel, I have the Lord reach out to and touch him so that he opens up again and realizes that he's going to heal, but that the healing is a purposeful healing. It's what I imagine some of the great men of the Bible, like David, at times, this is a, King David was rejected by Saul, whom he had a lot of affection for and was hunted by Saul for years and years and years because it would make him the right king in the end. And it gave him opportunities to honor God. So those are kinds of inspirations also that are going on there with the, with the character arc for Prentice. And of course, there has to be a character arc. He has to grow. He's not perfect. I love that you made mention of that because when you do deal with trauma, oftentimes you do just want to not think anymore. But we are called to engage in reality. We're called to engage in the events of the day and in our own lives. And so sometimes we may think we can just stay stuck in dullness And the Lord said, nope, I got a bigger thing for you. And that definitely happens, Apprentice, here. And so we're at the end of our show today, Matt, and I want to thank you so much for being a part of it. If people want to connect with you, where can they find you online? Well, I can be found as Matt Barron Christian Writer on Facebook, but I also have mattbarronauthor.com as my website. Uh, If you go there, you can sign up for my newsletter. There's the free prequel novella that I've got available for for download, anyone who wants to read more of the story. And that's basically where I'm available. I, I, you can also email me through the website. I won't guarantee that I'll get back to you straight away, but I'm working very hard to be attentive. And I think that's it. Yeah. Matt, this show is always about encouraging authors whom God has given the gift to write, to pick up the pen and do so. So go ahead and encourage them out there today. Well, if you think the Lord is leading you, you have to follow, of course. But uh, let me encourage you with something that a writer from my childhood or my teenage years said, um, R.A. Salvatore, many of you who know fantasy will know R.A. Salvatore, the man who wrote novels and the role-playing game novels from the 1980s. But he was once asked, how do I know if I'm a writer? And he told someone something very profound. I think he said, if you can quit trying to write, quit. And if you can't quit, you're a writer. So if you feel it in your heart and you can't quit, then just write. Because no one, I promise you that this is the wonderful thing to learn as a writer is no one, not J.K. Rowling, not any great author of any stripe in anywhere who's making millions and millions of dollars, none of them walk into a room and have a publisher say, yep, that's perfect. I'll never change anything. Everyone has someone say, oh, I didn't like that. Let's change this. 
maybe you should do it this way. Everyone's got their own ideas. Don't be afraid when someone tells you, I didn't like it that way. That's okay. They don't have to like it that way. You write what you're going to write. Make it the best you can make it. That's all you got to do. Matt, thank you for that sound advice. And thank you so much for being on our show. And I cannot wait to have you back and have you back real soon. I would love to come back anytime you want, Parker. And we were talking today to Matt Barron. He is the author of the book, Prentice Ash, which is book one of the Rage of Lions series. If you like medieval fantasy, military tactics, war, spiritual aspect, this is the book for you. It definitely does have some coarse language and some gritty violence, but I assure you that is not going to stop you from enjoying this wonderful tale. Go ahead, love on my brother, and pick up your copy of Prentice Ash today. I assure you, you will not be disappointed. I love how Matt said that with this book, he is using it to reach the lost in a very unique way. And this is one of the ways to do that. What are you doing with your writing gift? Go ahead, pick up the pen, and write stuff. Thank you so much for joining me for this edition of The Right Stuff. I'm the Queen, Parker J., and you have a wonderful, absolutely glorious, blessed day.